so glad each and every one of you are here. What a great day to celebrate missions and as we work through this month. And uh, it is a special place in my heart. When, as, just as a little boy, the Lord gave me such a desire for missions. And uh, many times Gene and I have asked to let us go, but he's kept us here in the state, so I've, but he's allowed me to be involved in stuff around the world, and I, I continue to enjoy that because I love seeing those verses fulfilled out like this, go therefore and make disciples of the nations. I love being a part of that. And someday, you and I, we will, in my view of uh, Revelations 5, we will link arms with all the nations of the world who proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ, every brother and sister around the world who knows Jesus as their Savior, and we we will sing, worthy is the Lamb. And I, I don't know what language that is, but it's going to be glorious. And uh, uh, I look forward to that. So missions is very, very important to us here. Hey, it is my great pleasure to introduce to you a very dear friend of mine. His name is Paul Anthus. Um, Paul and I met the first day of seminary in 2004. We were two old guys that had been in ministry for a long time that God let go back to seminary. It was really weird. We had a lot of young guys, but here's Paul and I. And the first day, we entered, somebody introduced us, and we, a kindred spirit, linked our hearts that day, didn't it? And we prayed our way and cried our way through seminary, because um, we were pastoring churches and overwhelmed, trying to learn two new languages, Greek and Hebrew, and, and uh, working on English. Um, <laughs> you know, it was, it was awesome. And, uh, you know, Paul and I would pray every, at lunch. We'd get together and pray for each other and for our churches, and and uh, so God linked our hearts together. Through the years, Paul has planted a, another church. He is in Placerville, uh, Community Bible Church of Placerville. He's a teaching pastor there, has some great men surrounding him and a great little work that's going on there. But along came Compassion for Congo. And he's going to give a little bit of that story. But Paul is the right man for the job. He has such compassion for the week. Uh, he, God has blessed him in so many ways along that line. He is a prayer warrior. And so Compassion for Congo came along. God united his heart to that ministry, particularly to a man named Didier that he'll introduce to you. And uh, actually who we're going to have here in May preaching in this church from the Congo. He's coming May 15th or something like that. We have it. Third, May 3rd. So um, we're looking forward to that. Now, a couple of things I just want to share about Paul that I know he would not share. Um, Paul has, um, he would share this, he has a beautiful wife, Jenny, she is here, and he has four children, and God has blessed them with children. They are very bright uh, children, nuclear engineers, those type of brightness. No kidding. Um, they had three beautiful children, and the Lord gave them a fourth. And I know Paul wouldn't share this, but I'm going to share it, because we love life in this room, don't we? And while that baby was in this womb, they said, this baby is not going to be normal, there's no brain function, you should get rid of it. And Paul and Jenny said, God gave us that child, it is ours. She's here today, and she's with Jenny somewhere. She's now almost 27 now. She's never spoke a word. She can't. Jenny told us last night, she said, the hardest thing is that your child can't tell you when they're hungry or thirsty or sick. They have loved this child. It has ministered to Jean and I and many people around the globe that watched the way they take care of this child. And she's beautiful. And someday, in the resurrection, can you imagine the conversations we're going to have with this little girl? And she is beautiful. So this is a type of servant that, Paul gave the, that God gave Paul, the servant Paul the ministry of the Congo. A ministry that nobody else probably would take. 80% unemployment, tremendous amount of death and disease and wicked false teaching. And there's Paul, entrenched in the Congo with a one man that he found that would preach the gospel, who is now training others and there's orphanages and all the things that have come with it. So if you can't get it yet, I'm very excited about this ministry. And I'm, and I'm very excited Paul's here because he's a dear, dear brother of mine. So give him a grace Bible welcome and come up and preach to us, Paul. Well, I hope I can make it sound as exciting as Scott did. Um, sometimes at 2 in the morning when I'm uh, there awake at 2 in the morning, we're supposed to be asleep. Uh, sometimes it doesn't seem too glamorous, but um, it is exciting because uh, God's doing a great work in Congo. Uh, Compassion for Congo was actually the, the brainchild, the name of uh, Pastor Didier, who you will meet in uh, May. Uh, 
Uh, all we did was uh, organize the mission and try to help people throughout the United States uh, have somewhere to pray and direct their, their love for uh, the helpless and the hopeless in so many ways. I, I bring you greetings. Let me just begin this way. From 450 brothers um, and sisters in Congo, they're living in the very heart of Africa. You may have heard of the darkest Africa. That's where they are, right in the center. Their circumstances are appalling. Their joy is, I don't know, beyond measure. Their worship sometimes is transporting. Um, Three-hour church services in Congo, no problem. Uh, but I'll stop a long time before that. <laughs> Let me tell you a story about a young man, a boy actually, 12 years old, put out on the street because his sorcerer father remarried. Are you going to put some slides up? Somebody was going to uh, throw up a few pictures for us, so uh, I'll, I'll try to track along with those pictures for you for a bit. Anyway, his sorcerer father remarried and the new wife didn't want him in the house so they put him out on the street there are several million kids living on the street in congo he was just one but in god's providential care and i'm gonna i'm gonna step over here do you mind if i step over here scott i'll use your music stand for a minute um and I'm going to tip it, so whoever uh, gets back here, you can blame me. Um, in God's providential care, he ran into a single missionary woman who was walking the streets of Kinshasa, who led him to Christ, and then she saw to it that he was educated. Uh, he eventually finished a master's degree, a graduate degree in theology, in a seminary, a Mennonite seminary in Congo, in Kinshasa. He married while he was uh, growing up there, and then they sent him as a missionary to an English-speaking country called Zambia. What I'm about to recount this morning for a few minutes still seems quite extraordinary to me. It uh, reminds me of something that I heard Steve Fernandez say years ago. He said, don't tell God your plans, but see if you can find out what he's doing and ask him if you can help. And when I crossed paths with this, I went, Lord, I need to help. I often find myself thinking about the words of Jeremiah in Jeremiah 10:23. He said, I know, O Lord, that a man's way is not in himself, nor is it in a man who walks to direct his steps. So we're walking, you're walking through this world. You can take that to the bank. You're putting one foot in front of the other, but isn't it awesome that the sovereign God of creation orders our steps? So years passed, and in the early 2000s, another Congolese student came to America to, to attend a Mennonite college in Fresno, where he met and proposed marriage to the daughter of a friend of mine. His name is Jim. Jim went to Congo uh, to meet the parents of the groom. But he would only go, he said, if they would give him something meaningful to do. He's a hardworking guy, always doing something. An orphanage was assigned to him and with some plumbing to do. And you know, you can't get everybody to do plumbing. Sometimes you can't get anybody to do plumbing. Um, and they also gave him a young missionary from Zambia to be his interpreter. And yes, you, you guessed it. it, that was the homeless boy from three decades before. And his name is Didier Mukachi, and you'll meet him in a couple of months. I'm going to, Lord willing, I'm going to come down, uh, and you'll just get to hear him preach, and I'll sit down there and rejoice in that. And this meeting would actually prove to be the birth of Compassion for Congo. DDA and his wife were living at starvation level at that point. I mean... Seriously, the little money that was sent for support was being kept by the mission director in Zambia who was supposed to be distributing it to the 
missionary pastors there. He spent most of his day looking for food for his family. And so Jim began sending money directly to DDA and uh, going around the mission. I don't recommend that, by the way, but, you know, sometimes you've got to do extraordinary things. And he encouraged DDA to follow his vision, which was to plant a church in Congo, to start an orphanage, to start a Christian school. And I have to admit that when Jim first told me about it, I sort of laughed inside, sort of like Sarah. I went, yeah, how is this guy ever going to do that? And you're telling me, and I'm in a church plant that hasn't paid me a full salary for five months. But I am interested. And so we began to to pray and to get concerned. And DDA ended up settling in the city of Lubumbashi, which is in the southeastern corner. You could just go ahead and go through a few of these. Uh, I realize this is a, a pharmacy. Need some medicine, that's where you would go. Uh, If you needed to get to that pharmacy, this is the road in front of your house that you need to go. Here's some uh, yummy caterpillars. Uh, I actually ate some of those. Uh, I'll tell you later how they were. Um, There's your uh, typical uh, um, mobile phone store. It's about three by three feet. Um, That's our first church in the background there that we built out on this bare land. And... um, this is a uh, fast food place. Uh, she's cooking right, right back there uh, on a little uh, walk thing with some charcoal. Uh, taxi, you need a ride into town, these guys will take you for a, about a quarter. This is what the property looked like out there uh, when, we, uh, when we acquired it. And like I said, there's the first church in Congo. It's blown over now. Uh, There's the first well, dug by hand, by DDA and his son. And then a little hole, you drop a bucket down in here. This is a a new one that we were able to put in a few years back. I'll tell you about that in just a second. And uh, here they are making bricks uh, on the ground. Uh, They don't always do a good job. They forget to put enough concrete in. And um, you could go on for a second here. That's what they look pretty much like what you buy at Home Depot except they don't have a Home Depot. Uh, here's the wall foundation going in around the, uh, the property and some gates that we put in and um, the wall going up. And uh, these are some of the local workers that we hired. And Oh, and they have wind. And this is what happens when you don't put enough cement in your concrete bricks. It can blow down an eight-foot wall. Um, Pastor Peter and his wife, this was uh, when I was there in 2012 and we had an ordination for him. It took uh, four hours, that service, and it was hot. And, uh, okay, just you can stop right here. This is uh, Mufunga Village, and I'll tell you a little bit about that in just a second. The, um, I skipped through a whole bunch of my notes, so we're, we're uh, catching up here real good. Um, in, um, in 2013, we were approached, some, some ladies came down from this village and asked us if we would go help some orphans up there. And we said, uh, well, how many orphans do you have up there? And she said, we have 670 of them. And we said, where do they live? And she said, out in the fields and around there. And uh, we, they're sick. They're malnourished, they're dirty, and um, so we, we, I don't know what possessed us to do this except, uh, I guess, compassion. Uh, we decided to go up there and, and see what was up there, and this is what we found up there. Uh, in, in fact, there were 670 orphans. Uh, this place is nine, mile, nine hours on a dirt road north of where our mission station is. And it sort of left us speechless. In fact, DDA told me that he couldn't eat or sleep for three days after he saw these kids. And, and he lives in Congo. Um, we brought 18 of them back out 
And so now the orphanage, which was built for 12, had 22 kids. We brought the ones out that we thought would die, honestly. Uh, that, was, uh, that was the criteria. Uh, we also sent a doctor with medicine and food to try to help them. And what happened after our third visit surprised us a lot. The chief offered us land uh, in the village, and he said if we would build a home for a pastor and a church and a clinic, he would give us land, and then he deeded it over to us right on the spot. Uh, you could go to the next one here. This is what the clinic looks like up there in that village. There's no doctor and no medicine, but you can see it's got a Red Cross on it, so it must be a clinic. Um, here are some of the kids. This is what they look like. Now, some of these same kids, most of these kids are in the orphanage now, and I'll show you some pictures in a little bit of what they look like. Um, this is what happens when you show a Congolese orphan a smartphone, honestly. Um, it was like, wow, they couldn't believe it. They didn't even know what it was. Uh, they drink out of this just upstream, the pigs and the rest of the livestock are uh, in it. So you can imagine, uh, we found a lot of people like this man uh, who's blind, and we even took 10 of them back to Lubumbashi and, and tried and got them eye surgery and stuff. So um, this is Pastor DDA and the chief here and a couple of the village elders. That's our property behind there. That's where sometime in a few years from now, I hope to come and tell you uh, we have a church planted there. Um, uh, you know, as poor as these people were, when we were ready to live, they, leave, they brought us food. Uh, they brought us chickens and bananas and things to give us uh, for coming to visit them. So, uh, now these are some of those same kids back in the orphanage. And um, they're real different. And uh, here they are inside. That's their chief. He came all the way down to see the kids that he sent down with us. And you can see the expression on his face. He, uh, he's excited. If we took all 670, uh, he would be happy. But I can't even begin to tell you what that would uh, entail for us. Uh, could you just stop here at this one for a second? Uh, the, the, that same year, we, um, we uh, started a medical outreach in the uh, city of Lubumbashi. Uh, each week, this is Dr. Allen right here sitting at the table. Um, and you can pray for Dr. Allen. He, uh, he sort of professes to know the Lord, but he's still hanging on to the Catholic Church. And uh, he comes to our church now, and he is around the preaching of the gospel all the time. And he signs his uh, emails to me, your dear son in the faith. So um, I don't know whether that's true or not, but God does. You should pray for Dr. Allen. Uh, he has the heart of a man who loves Christ. But we just don't quite know for sure where he's at with that. But uh, we started these free medical clinics. A pastor from one of the churches in town is at each one. You can go to the next slide. Um, there's some of the medicine. Uh, it costs about $800 to buy those meds there. And that'll do a, a clinic and treat about 50 to 60 people. Uh, many of whom honestly would die of malaria or typhoid if we couldn't give them some of these medications. Here they are uh, waiting to get in. We had 180 the first time we did this, and we couldn't even treat them all. They, uh, they, stood, they waited out there for like 12 hours, and uh, we finally ran out of medicine and daylight and everything else. So next. Um, yeah, there's Pastor Mickey right there in the middle in the white. Um, and and he's there talking with some of the people while they're waiting about the Lord and uh, giving them a Bible or a New Testament. Uh, I had to put this in. Um, these are kids that are here in the U.S. I took this in the U.S. And uh, they had a little reunion, and I got to go to it. And they said, let's get a picture of you with all the kids that uh, have been adopted uh, here. And uh, most of them here in Northern California, they're are some, uh, some more. Uh, they were too big to sit on my lap. Um, we started a prison ministry. Um, I'm not sure how much I want to tell you about this right this minute, because Pastor Didier might tell you quite a bit. But this is him preaching to um, a bunch of juvenile uh, prisoners. The, um, 
I've got this out of order in my notes, so let me find it here real quick. Um, these kids are given no food to speak of. They get one bowl of rice a day. But then that's what a lot of Congolese get each day is one bowl of rice. Um, they have, they're given no clothes. Whatever they come in with on their back, that's what they stay in that prison with. Um, you can go to the next slide. This is how they cook, on the ground, little fire. Um, there's a little bit of, uh, those are probably beans in that pot. Next. Um, th this is uh, fufu. Uh, fufu is the national carbohydrate of Congo. And, uh, and you see the clothes on this young man? Um, that's not uncommon. I've seen a lot worse. And um, these are some missionary uh, helpers, short terms. We, we, we go every week that we go in there, we give each inmate a can of fish and a piece of bread. And uh, we preach to them. So that's, that's the most protein that they get um, throughout the week. And interestingly, the juvenile judge who uh, put all of these kids in prison was the one who approached me and said, you know, if I had money to buy chairs, um, I would start a prison ministry. I said, I will give you money to buy chairs, and I will give you preachers to come and start the preaching of the gospel in the prison ministry. And that's how that got started, and uh, that's, that's ongoing right now. And um, this is water. Uh, I took this picture my first day in Congo. They said, we filled up your water buckets for you. I said, great. That's what was in it. That was out of that well that I showed you, the hole. Uh, that's, that's what comes out of that well. And uh, what you have now, what we have now is this tower with a water tank on it uh, next. Um, this is one of my favorite pictures. This is Angelique. She's been running the orphanage since we started it. And uh, this is Pastor DDA with the water coming out of the hose. Uh, he said, this is the first house I've lived in in 20 years that had running water. It's all gravity fed. We put a spigot outside the wall so that the uh, community could come. Uh, they pretty much drained the tank the first day. So we had to say, you can come between these hours. And, um, and so we're trying to provide water for the whole community around about the, uh, the area. Next. Um, this is the new church that we built last summer. You can still see the old one there. Um, that's, that's what it looks like from the other side. And one, one last view of that. And we're almost done with the pictures. Uh, we bought this property uh, last year uh, in town. We have a goal of starting seven churches in Lubumbashi. This is our third church now. And we started building the bricks there too. And this is the roof going up. And uh, oh, bathrooms. You know, don't ever complain about your church's bathrooms. Um, they think this is awesome. We have a bathroom at the church. Um, there's a typical service. Um, this was uh, July of uh, last year, not that long ago, uh, in the completed church. I think that's all the slides that we have. Is that right? Num number 55? Okay. I could talk a long time about this, but let me just... Uh, let me sum it up for you. What we, uh, we've got so many open doors, honestly, and, and this isn't hype. Uh, we can't even really go through them. We, uh, we don't have the resources to go through them. The opportunities to preach are really astounding. In my entire life, I've never seen anything like it, Scott, uh, except maybe in Mindanao. Um, we desire to reap it while it's still day. I mean, let's go for it, is what we're trying to do. And so we have future plans, and they include building a church, parsonage, basically a mission, mission station on that bare land that I showed you up in the village. Uh, we want to buy uh, some sort of a land cruiser or something so we can go back and forth on this nine hours on a dirt road. So this would be, like, it's sort of like driving up to Lake Tahoe uh, from here, but with no roads. Okay, so you figure out for yourself what kind of vehicle you need, uh, and, and that's what we're praying for. We're not sure what we're going to get yet. 
Uh, we want to expand the size of the orphanage in Lubumbashi to about 30 kids. And then we're anxious to start our fourth church plant in Lubumbashi, and then there'll only be three left before we have reached that goal. So this is what's happened. Uh, God has exalted Christ greatly in Congo, not us. Um, I would like to take the remaining time that I've got. Scott told me I could preach if I hurried. Um, and so I'd, I'd like to do that and talk to you about uh, how we are to live out the gospel uh, as missionaries and as just regular church people uh, throughout the world. Well, let me pray. Lord, open our hearts to Christ, not just to need. Need is everywhere, Lord. Need is crushing, but you are the sovereign God of creation. Open our hearts to you, Lord, and uh, not just to the need that we see. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know, uh, perhaps you've noticed that time has a way of dulling the memory. I thought about this over the weekend, this Valentine's Day weekend. And um, that's supposed to be when couples remember what thrilled them about one another, what drew them to one another. And, and, and it wasn't flowers and candy. Uh, although, you know, that's nice. Uh, if you've been married for more than a few years, you probably need to take a trip down memory lane and remember what made you love your spouse and ask God to take you there again. Now, this is not a marriage sermon. It's not even a Valentine's Day sermon. But, you know, I took advantage of the holiday to think about this. It is about losing your love for Christ and getting it back again. There was a church in what is now Turkey, pastored by Paul for nearly three years. It was founded around 35 to 40 AD. But by 90 AD, 50 years later, uh, Jesus already had some real issues with that church. Jesus actually said to them, you have lost your first love. That's the one thing I've got against you. And you, you see, it turns out the churches also have a propensity to forget and to forget their love for Christ and to let it grow cold. Let me ask you guys a couple of questions this morning, see, see how you do uh, in answering these. Why does your church exist in Hollister? You don't need to answer, I just want you to think about it. Do you know why it exists here? How about this? To whom does it belong? Most Christians give totally the wrong answer to this question. Um, is it an institution? And if it isn't, if you say no to that, then what is it exactly? You see, all of these things I mentioned just to get us to think a little bit about what does Christ think about our church? Why? And, and this is why I'm asking. God and his son conceived and then carried out a single way to redeem sinners and rescue them from eternal death in hell. And the church is built entirely, 100%, on what Christ has done for you. I was once in a church who used to refer to their members as giving units. I said, I, I think I need to get in another church really fast. Um, I have a prayer for you this morning, and I have all this week been praying this for you, that you will remember or maybe realize for the first time the immensity of God's love in Christ for you, and that you'll begin to grasp it and grasp what Jesus meant when he said the greatest or foremost command is this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. So let me read a few verses that were addressed to this church that I was mentioning. 
that was in danger of losing its love for Christ. Their doctrine and conduct, by the way, remained exemplary. But their hearts became a spiritual desert. And, and before I read it, I just need to ask you, is your heart cold toward Christ today? Can you remember a time when you loved him deeply, but now that's sort of like a memory? Perhaps God's Spirit will open all of our eyes this morning as we look at a few verses together to the surpassing love of Jesus for us. Let me read it. It's in Ephesians chapter 1. Take your Bibles and turn there if you uh, have them. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved, in Christ. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to the kind intention which he purposed in him. And with a view... Well, let's just stop at verse 9, because I'll never get past that anyway. From a Roman prison, Paul, the great missionary, theologian, church planter, can only send a short letter. What will he say? He could tell of his great sufferings and his sleepless, anxiety-filled nights. Roman prisons were notoriously bad. Or he could wonder out loud how he could have come to such a wretched end when he had devoted his life to the Savior. But he chooses instead to write this epistle about the surpassing love of Christ, starting with his greeting, grace to you and peace from God our Father. But men cannot know the depth of God's lavish love until they know the depth of their own broken condition. Of this I am thoroughly convinced. In Ephesians 2, verse 4 and 5, verses 4 and 5, he reminds them of that. He says, but God being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. That's the definition, by the way of saved by grace. You were dead as the proverbial doornail and God gave you life. Now, it doesn't take a genius to figure out that you didn't have anything to do with that. That's called the grace of God. So let's try to get this straight this morning. The sovereign creator of the universe purposed to make you his child before you were even alive. Now, don't argue with me. I just read this out of the text. Uh, and now I'm going to preach it. Before he began to create your world, he already possessed unqualified and unconditional love for you. For you. There's only time to notice a few things about this this morning, but here they are. Uh, we were blessed by God before we were saved. Have you ever thought back on your life and thought of all the things that God did for you before you were saved? I've done that. Yeah, that's because I belong to him. <laughs> he just hadn't brought me to faith yet. You were chosen by him before you were saved. You were wanted. Yes, you were wanted by him before you were saved. You were purchased by him before you were saved. 
you were granted an inheritance even before you were saved. This is amazing stuff. So God's blessing of us begins with him and not with us. <laughs> it all starts with God. Everything starts with God. Your physical life and your spiritual one as well. Most believers believe that God blesses them because we decided to believe in him. But the scripture says, no. Now that seems totally logical. If you're like me, you can remember the time when you decided to follow Christ. I remember that. And so we hear this scripture a little differently. The, the version that runs through most Christians' heads goes like this. Please don't say that this is what I say it means, but praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ when we chose him and wanted to be holy and blameless in his sight. Well, you see, it just doesn't say that. It says something entirely different, but a lot of times we sort of hear it that way. Now, before you start saying out loud, to the person next to you. Didn't we invite this guy to preach to us about Congo and adoption? Let me say this. What I'm about to share with you is at the very heart of adoption. God invented adoption. And when you see it through his eyes, you will understand how gospel-centered and Christ-exalting it actually is. For you see, orphans are powerless. They are hopeless. They are helpless to change their condition. They must be chosen and brought into a family at immense expense and sacrifice. That's, the, that's what orphans are like. The verses that are open on your lap are God's definitive explanation of adoption. And they start like everything else in creation with God, with God blessing you. Paul begins with praise because he is thinking about God. And that's what we, we started our service this morning with praise because we were thinking about God. How do you begin your prayers? Now, pastor, I'm gonna go to meddling here for a minute. But you know, believers, prayer meetings can vex your soul. Uh, I remember wanting to give them up when I was a young Christian. Because they sounded like someone bursting into the throne room of God without a word of greeting and thrusting a list of needs into his hand and then they're gone. And you know, I got to thinking even my own dear human children usually try to say a couple of nice things to me before they ask me for money. <laughs> but we, but we, don't, we don't pray that way, we just go right to it. You know, I, can I issue a challenge? Um, would you have a prayer time in which you ask God for absolutely nothing? How long could you pray if you were only blessing God? and not asking him to bless you. Now, if you say, I wouldn't know what to pray if I did that, then you need to jump into the deep end of the pool with me in Ephesians 1, because it is fitting that blessings to God should flow from the tongues of the redeemed. But how does a man bless God? Have you ever wondered that? How does a man bless God? The word here is eulogy. You ever heard of eulogy? You know, eulogy is when you stand up and you say lots of nice things about the dead. Just before I did a funeral one time, the daughter of the deceased came up to me and she said, please don't say anything nice about my father. Because if you do, nobody will believe anything else you have to say. Now, how would you like to start a, a funeral like that? But... I didn't know him, and I do know God. I don't know him as well as I should. I've only known him for 50 years, but I've got a start on it. And he is worthy to be eulogized, and I could just sit and talk about his greatness 
for hours. We're, we only have a little time left, so I need to hurry. David, under inspiration, showed us how it was done. Psalm 147.1, praise the Lord. How good it is to sing praises to our God, how pleasant and fitting to praise him. Because he heals the brokenhearted, and he binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars, and he calls them all out by name. And we could go on. If you have trouble with your prayer time, just get Psalm 19 out. Just get out Psalm 147. But what about us? You know, we have been hugely blessed by God. But most of the time, we don't even realize the extent. You guys have no idea how blessed you are to have a Christ-exalting preacher because he will help you with this. But a lot of Christians never hear this stuff. Believe me. These blessings stream out of God's heart. His mercy and his kindness come from his very being. Did you know, Christian, that God blesses you because of who he is and not because of who you are? I mean, that's great, isn't it? Because we are broken and he is not. That is why these are called blessings in heavenly places. Well, let me hurry. Um, a lot of believers get really nervous when we read a verse like this. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, they get nervous when we start speaking about election and predestination. Uh, perhaps you have heard the objections. Maybe you've even raised them yourself. I mean, I have. If God has chosen us, then where is our freedom, our autonomy? If everything is predestined, then why should we even preach the gospel or strive to live for God? Now, I don't really object to those questions. But before we even think about going there, I've got a couple of questions of my own. And I want to give them to you. And you should mark them down somewhere for the next time you're asked the ones I just read. If you were born into a loving family where your father was rich and generous and cared for you and loved you deeply, would you ever say, where's my freedom to choose my family and to do what I want and to be born where I want? If this father arranged things so that you would never fall into snares or sins that would ruin your life, would you say, what about my rights to choose? my own family and my fate. Of course, we wouldn't do that, but we never think of that. We don't think that way, sadly. This is a good day, though, for us to bless God for bringing us into his family. You may ask your other questions later. I, I, I can't do that right now. Um, I invite you to stay with me in the text because God from eternity past knew you and set his affection on you. He literally moved heaven and earth to bring you into his family. And so I can say, you are loved by God. If you've never trusted Christ that way, I invite you to come to him. God has sent me as his preacher this morning to call his children to praise him and to invite orphans to the family of the living God. The door is not closed to you if you are not a believer. That door to the Father's home is open. If you can hear the voice of Christ, you may and should enter if you can hear his voice calling to you because Christ has paid for you to come and to live in his grace. Jesus said, after delivering a quick discourse on election, this is what he said. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Verse 5, and I particularly wanted to spend a little time here. He predestined us to adoption as sons. I call this sermon, Every Christian is an Adopted Child. <laughs> Have you ever thought of it that way? It's true. Just visualize this for a moment. When God decided to love you, no humans existed. 
when he decided to make you his child, all of your sins were future. All of your sins were future. And he was aware of every failing, every weakness, every rebellion, and every sin of yours and of mine. So it's not just your past sins that Christ died for. He died for all of them from the womb to the tomb. Pardon the rhyme. And knowing all this about you, all this stuff that you and I bury, we bury this stuff because we're not sure he will love us if he knows it. But I'm telling you he does because he knows the beginning from the end. He willingly sent his son to pay your penalty of death, the one that you should have paid, and then to adopt you as his beloved child. This means that God knew what he was choosing when he chose you. I I like to say that God bought a fine bunch of sinners when he bought us at the cross. He knew every sin when he poured out his blood. He's always wanted you. Your name was in his mind on the cross. That God knew you before creation, that he set his affection on you and then determined to adopt you as his children is compelling to me. I've been saved for 50 years and I am still in awe to the point of tears at times to think how Christ has loved me. Now, I could imagine many reasons why God might do something like this, but the scripture tells us here exactly why. He's kind. The biggest criticism I hear about God when you talk about predestination is that he's hard and mean, but he's kind. He's kind because you would have never made it if he hadn't set his affection on you. No religion or moral deed can ever make you a child of God. Christ came like an adoptive father to a distant land to bring his hopeless children home. Now the question that's been reverberating in my mind for a half a century, I hate to put it that way, but you know, that's really true for me, is this, why would he want me? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Why would he want me? Why would he love me when I have been such a sinner and I am still broken in so many ways? Why would he give his own loving and pure son to die for an unloving and impure one? The answer is shocking. It still is. Are you ready? It's in verse 6 of Ephesians 1. To the praise of the glory of his grace which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Have you ever realized that your salvation puts grace on display? It puts God on display. The angels in heaven go, can you believe that Christ saved Paul Anthus? Did you see the family he came from? Did you see his Unitarian agnostic family? His religious vacuum that he grew up in? Did you ever hear him talk? We can't believe how gracious is a God who would do that. This is exactly what the scripture is talking about. When, when you are saved, all of heaven is astounded. <laughs> now, we have to get low to, to grasp this. You can't get this when you're feeling really proud. But your existence as a child is a continual praise to God's glorious grace. And it will go on forever and ever and ever. It reveals a side of God that cannot be known in any other way. Wicked sinners sought and bought by their own creator. Saved only because they have been loved. Now, this was in Paul's mind when he wrote this. He said to Timothy, here's a trustworthy statement, deserving full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am the foremost. Yet for this reason, and he's going to give you the reason now, for this reason I found mercy. 
Here's the reason. So that me, the foremost sinner, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. You know, a friend of mine who I met three days before I got saved. And that's another whole story, and help me not to go there. Um, but he was a Christian. I was not. And I got saved, and he, he told me just about two years ago, he said, the whole church used to go around and say, isn't God amazing that he would save Paul? I said, really? And he goes, yeah, the, the whole church used to say that behind your back. <laughs> and, and I thought, well, that's good I didn't hear that. <laughs> I might not have been ready for that. But this is what I'm trying to tell you. God rejoices. When it says there is great rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repents, you go look it up this afternoon. That's God who's rejoicing. That's God. And the rest of us get to rejoice too. That is so amazing. You were purchased by God before you were even saved. In him, we have redemption through his blood. You know, slaves were everywhere in the Roman world. If you wanted one, you had to redeem one. And what that meant was you had to go into a slave market where slaves were chained, usually naked, so that you could see what you were buying. They were chained to a block, elevated, like I'm up here on this platform, to be gawked at against their will and to be bought. You were owned like this by sin and by Satan, forever unable to free yourself. How does a slave find the price to purchase himself? I'll tell you, he doesn't. He doesn't. His work contributes nothing to his freedom, ever. His wages are only death. Sobering. Did you know, Christian, that you were bought and you're now owned by another? And, and mark this down. No human is ever free. We need to get that through our head. We are either enslaved to sin and to Satan or we are owned by Christ. You cannot be a Christian who does not have a Lord. And your Lord is the one who bought you from the slave market of sin. Romans 6 verse 20. Paul said this, Now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God. <laughs> I love that part. You derive your benefits resulting in sanctification. And the outcome eternal life. Christ paid to purchase you, to free you, to belong to him. No man can serve two masters. Jesus taught that, right? Don't go back and serve the one he freed you from. This is the reason to live for Christ. We belong to him, and he's worthy. One of the things that amazes me, and I'm almost done here, is that we have obtained an inheritance, verse 11. You know, what in, you know what that inheritance is like? It's the same one God's giving to his son, Jesus Christ. The scripture tells us we get what he gets. We are co-heirs with Christ. And again, another whole sermon. In the human world, a lot of things can happen to your inheritance. When my dad died, I paid for his funeral. I took my mom home to live with me. I sold his $200 car, and that was the end of it. See, a lot of things can happen to your inheritance in this world. Your parents can lose it all before they leave it to you. The government may tax it out of existence, or they might just seize it. But the adopted children of the king of creation, that would be you, do not merely hope they will obtain the inheritance. This inheritance is already obtained. It is the sovereign purpose of God who predetermined that it would be so. Well, let me conclude. 
Why would God do all of this for fallen humanity that has been at war with him since the garden? And here's the answer. To make himself known to you. This is who he is, and he is glorious. A God who is only holy, only righteous, only sovereign, only just, is not who God is. Notice the word only. Nor is, the one, is there one God in the Old Testament and another in the New. Have you ever heard that? That's nonsense. That's crazy. God has revealed himself slowly until the cross, where his glory literally exploded like a nova star into creation. John 1.14 says this, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his, God's, glory. How did we see it? In Christ. He says it was the glory of the only begotten of the Father because he was full of grace and truth. What? Christ was full of everything. Why does John mention grace and truth? Because that's what you need. You need grace. And nobody ever saw it like that until the cross. John testified about him and cried out saying, this is the one whom I said. He who comes after me has a higher rank than me because he existed before me. And then he, then he concludes this way in John 1.18. No one has ever seen God at any time, but the only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father, he has revealed him. You need exposure to the glory of God. I need it. Scott needs it. The glory of God is more than light or power or smoke or fire. It's all of that too, but, but it glows white hot in everything that Jesus Christ is and how he has loved you and how he set his affection on you before the foundation of the world. That is glorious. Your adoption as sons and daughters of the living God makes you eternal partakers of his glory. And someday, I'm looking forward to this, the words of Habakkuk will come true. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, as surely as the waters cover the sea. Wow. Now, adopting from Africa is not about giving a child a good home. I want you to get that out of your mind. It's about the gospel. It is the love of Christ for the lost and the hopeless. It's about being loved when you are filthy, when you are sick, when you are unlovely. It's about being found when you were lost, being rescued at great cost from the slave market of sin, washed, clothed, seated at the king's table, written into the will, you know, Paul was so overwhelmed by the spectacle of God's grace that by the time he gets to Ephesians chapter 3, he just quits teaching and explaining, and he goes to praying. And this is what I've been praying for you guys this week. Let me read it to you. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. I could talk to you about it for two more hours, but only God can make you know it. And that's why I pray. And that you may be filled up with all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be glory 
in the church and in Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen.